So I would just like to take this opportunity to pay my respects to Jalkun Mahasamai and and all my fellow practitioners, the the Sangha. And I would also like to uh, to greet greet you all, my friends in the Dhamma, that have all come here to the Dhamma. All of you have come here to practice the Dhamma to develop what we call Panya, which is wisdom. Wisdom within the Buddha Sasana, this this isn't the normal kind of wisdom that you find in the world. This is the wisdom that will bring the mind will take the mind beyond suffering. Even in this life, there's all different kinds of wisdom that we can that we can acquire and that we can chase after. So, for example, when when one goes to school, when when one is a child, one will go to school and seek seek knowledge in in different uh, subjects of school. Um, we keep doing this throughout our lives, and we get to the point where we we realize we need to we need to have a job. So we start to acquire skills, we start to acquire wisdom to, to be able to work a, a particular job. And we do this because we realise that we, we need the, the four basic requisites for living in the world, which are, which are food, clothing, um, shelter and medicine. Every, every one of us needs these things, so we have, to, we have to go out and we have to find a, some sort of job, some sort of occupation. But this occupation we have to find, it has to be what's called... a uh, it's like a right job, a, a right kind of job that, that doesn't hurt anyone else or doesn't hurt other or ourselves. This, so this is one kind of wisdom, but it, it's a worldly kind of wisdom, and this is not the kind of wisdom that will take us out of suffering. Suffering is something that's always in the mind, and so what we have to do is we have to practice, we have to develop the kind of wisdom in the Buddha Sasana, and this is this is what will take our mind beyond suffering. The Buddha was someone who had, who had the highest kind of wisdom in his mind. Before he became enlightened and before he became the Buddha, he developed very, very deep states of concentration, what are called the jhanas. He developed what's called the rupa jhana, which is the, the form jhana, very deep states of meditation, all the way up to the, what's called the arupa jhanas, which is the, the formless meditations. These are very, very deep, very refined kinds of uh, concentration and it's also a very very refined kind of happiness but even though he developed he developed concentration up to that very deep level he he realized his mind still hadn't been released from suffering all it was actually doing was was put, was temporarily suppressing the the defilements in his mind it can be compared to uh, if 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 there was a field of grass or there was a patch of grass and one took a rock and put the rock on, on a specific area of, of the grass. If you left that rock there for, for a period of time, what would happen? The grass underneath would become withered. But then in time, if you took the rock away, the, like the roots are still, of that grass are still healthy. So as soon as that grass uh, gets water and it gets sun on it, it'll start to grow again. So this, 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 is exactly, this is exactly what happens when one develops deep concentration and they, they don't de- develop wisdom. Their mind, it will seem like their mind has got no more defilements in it, but really they've just temporarily suppressed the defilements for a, a certain period of time. So this kind of samadhi, it, it's still good, it's still important, but if you don't use the power of this samadhi to investigate, you'll, you'll never actually be able to get, you'll never be able to be free from suffering. 
So the Buddha, further on in his quest, he, on the night of his enlightenment, he sat down and he investigated that this samadhi wasn't something that would take him, this, these kind of formless samadhis, this wasn't something that was going to take him all the way to enlightenment. But he reflected back to the time when he was, when he was only seven years old and it was a royal ploughing festival. And he sat under an apple tree and he watched the in and out breath and his mind, his mind entered what's called the first jhana, the first form jhana. And so he realized that this, this was the right path. This, is, this was the right path. This is what would lead him to enlightenment. So he did this again and he, he, developed, he developed this kind of meditation. And later on the, the three knowledges arose in his mind which are the knowledge of his previous lives, the knowledge of... Uh, beings' birth and beings', beings deaths, and then then he realized the final kind of knowledge, the the kind of knowledge that um, freed his mind from all the defilements in the mind. He saw that avijja, avijja, tanha, anupatana, which is ignorance, craving, and clinging. These these were the root causes of all the suffering that was in his mind. These 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 three these three aspects were were the cause of all birth and all becoming and all suffering. He investigated over, the, over these. He investigated that sankara is a cause, all sankaras is a cause for ignorance and he investigated what's called dependent origination back and forth and back and forth. But this, 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 this wisdom that he had attained, this, this isn't something that was just um, superficial. This wasn't just something he was thinking of and he was uh, bringing from memory. This was real wisdom that was arising within his mind. So he took, he took, this, he took this wisdom and he, he cut the defilements off in his mind. And when he'd learned to do that, that's when, he, when he had cut those defilements off, that's, that's when he attained full enlightenment. And so after that, after he realized, he realized the path and realized that this was the way to cut off all the, all the farming in the mind, he took this path and he taught it. First he taught it to the five ascetics. Especially after, after his first sermon, uh, a, a monk called Anyakonanda, he was, he was the first one to, to break through to the Dharma. But what you have to realize, Anyakonanda already had, had sought the Dharma for a long time. He practiced the Dharma for a long time and he had a very calm mind already. So when the Buddha taught to him, his mind was, he, his mind was ripe to see the Dharma. And when the Buddha taught his first sermon to him, he, Anyakonanda saw that everything that arises passes away. And he broke through to the first level what we call a, a sotapanna, just seeing that everything arises, passes away, and he knows that in his mind. He, while he was listening to the Buddha, he firmly kept his mind on the teachings until, until he saw this arising. He, he saw that everything, whether it's, it's what's, what's called, whether it's called rupa or nama, which is mind or matter, he saw everything inside and outside. What, whatever it was, it was trees, hills, things that had consciousness, things that don't have consciousness, like animals that have consciousness, and all other different sort of things. Every, every, he saw that everything in the world arises and passes away. These are just causes and conditions according to nature. These are things going through the natural process. He saw that all these different things, everything inside and outside, there, there was no self in any, in any of these there was no me, there was no mind, there was no I in any of these, in, in any of this phenomenon. And this, this, is, this, this was wisdom arising in Anyakonanda because he saw, he saw the Dharma, he saw the truth. And when the Buddha had finished teaching and, he, and, he, and, he, and the Buddha had realized that Anyakonanda had, 
had seen the Dhamma, the, the Buddha exclaimed, Anyakananda knows already, Anyakananda knows. He got rid of what are called the first three fetters and he became a Sotapanna, the first three fetters, which is um, attachment to rites and rituals, um, self-identity view. So if we practice, we, we still have a lot of suffering within our mind, but this is the reason we have to practice because we have this suffering here. Samadhi and developing concentrated states of mind are very, very important. So when we do develop this samadhi, the mind becomes firm and it becomes very stable. And so what we do, we use this firm and stable mind to investigate into the Dharma. And once we have this firm and stable mind and investigating into the Dharma, we'll clearly see the Dharma, just like Anyakonanda did. So now that the Buddha is actually teaching the, taught the Dharma and there have been uh, people in history that have woken to the Dharma that he's taught, this just goes to show for us there, there is hope. There is hope that this same wisdom will arise within our own mind and we have hope that, that one day we'll be able to be rid of all the defilements within our mind. The best, way, the best way to see this and the best way to see this Dhamma and for the best way for wisdom to arise is for us to always be constantly investigating, investigating the three truths of anicca, dukkha, anatta, impermanence, suffering and not self. If we use this as a, as a constant reminder for ourselves, this will eventually give rise to real, panya, real wisdom. You need to investigate all the things around you, all the things outside, whether they be things simply as cars, trees, other people, all the different things in the world. If you investigate these three truths, you'll, you'll see that they, all these different things in the world have the same characteristics. They just have the characteristics of changing. They're simply arising and passing away. Everything in, everything in life and everything in this world is in a constant state of change. On, an, on, a, very, on a very gross level, you could say, you, we, you can see change in some of the natural disasters that are happening around the world at the moment. The cause of these natural disasters is change in the world. There's, there's no balance in the world. So that's what causes these, these massive tidal waves and the earthquakes and all these all these sort of things. Or, but on the other side of it, there's all the, the very, very small little changes that maybe we, don't, we can't even see at, the, at, at this point in time. So there's change on every kinds of level, but, but the, the main point is everything's in a state of flux, everything's in a constant state of change. So we have to investigate everything as, as not having a self and not having and that, that everything is just changing and that there's no me or there's no self in any of these things. What all is happening is um, these, these are formations just arising and they're, they're formations just in a constant state of flux. They just arise and pass away. For example, our body, our body is, is what we call a sankhara. It's something that's conditioned. It's something that's uh, that's formed. It's something that simply came into the world. It was born into the world. It was born from elements. It was born. It gradually grew up. It, it, it continues to keep growing at every every second of the day, and it just keeps it keeps continuing on to on to old age, sickness, and death. It never stops. It never rests. It, it always it's always going through a state of change. So you have to ask yourself, you know. How old are you now? Whatever age you are. Do you know many people that are over 100 years old? You can see that there's not too many people in the world that's over 100. So just say if you're 50 now, it's like 
you know, at the most you've got 50 years left in, in your life before you have to die. Really look at this and really, really try to investigate these different kinds of things. And when, when you do this with a calm mind, you'll, you'll see that everything, both within and without, it's all just impermanent suffering and not self. You'll see that everything in the world that we, that we take as, as our self is simply, it's simply just a matter of, it's all a matter of conventions. It's simply conventional reality. There's no self in any of these things. And when one does actually understand this and when one sees this and gets a glimpse of this, the mind becomes very bright and very radiant. And very radiant. This arising of wisdom and this radiant mind, this can happen at any point in time. This could actually happen even right now while you're sitting here listening to the Dhamma. You could see into the nature of all things that, everything's, that, nothing, that everything is non-self. There's, there's nothing in this world that is, that is self and has any sort of self. It's all in a constant state of change. What you have to realize, though, is there, there, are, two kinds of, there are two kinds of wisdom. The first kind is, is a wisdom that arises from simply thinking, thinking over things and remembering things, so you can remind yourself that, oh, well, this body's not self, everything around me is not self, everything inside and outside is not self. You can keep reminding yourself that the body is just made up of four elements. You, know, you can go through the body and think over different parts of it, you know, the hard parts of the body, like the bones, that's the earth element the liquid parts of the body, which is like the blood. That's just the water element. The, the heat element is the different kinds of heats and the different kinds of warmths in the body and things like the breath going in and out. That's the air element in the body. You can go, the, all these things gather together and they make up what we call this body. So on an intellectual level, you can understand this and you can think over this. And this is good. This brings understanding to one level. And at the start, you do have to think like this and you have to investigate like this. But this is not the deeper kind of wisdom arising. arising. This, is, this is just the first, you know, on the first level. In time, if you do this over a long period of time, one day you, you'll have a breakthrough and you really understand clearly. And this, and this won't be wisdom that's just coming from your thinking mind. This will be, this will be real wisdom. This will be understanding clearly. And this is the other kind of wisdom that I was talking about. It's called Pawanamaya Panya. In time, in time, when this kind of wisdom arises, you, you, won't, you won't even need to think. You won't even need to use the thinking mind. Just a knowing will arise. You, the knowing will arise that all, all things, all things inside and out, they're just, they're simply conventions. This is, this is, not, this is not the intellectual mind speaking to you. This is a real knowledge that arises within the heart. Just for example, like this hall here, like the at Bodhikusuma, you can see everything within it, like the, the chairs, the, 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 you know, the, all the people here, all the women, men, all the different things around you. You, know, you, can, call that, you can call that a chair, but you know, in English we call it a chair. In Thai we call it something else. In Malaysian we call it something else. All, all these are just conventions. You'll see that all of these have no, they have no inherent, inherent meaning. We, we have to use language. Um, we, have to use, we, we do have to use these conventions to, to get for, for a general understanding of, of, you know, if someone, if we need to call, need to call someone their name. And we, so we do actually need these kinds of conventions. But in reality, on the deeper sense of it, they're, they're simply conventions. They're just names that we've given to things that they're actually just a bunch of elements gathering together, arising for a period of time and then passing away. Once, once you can understand this deeper, understand this on the deeper level, you say, you'll see that they're just, 
They're just a, simply a part of nature and they have no self within them. For example, when, when, I, was, when I was still a lay person like you, I, I had the opportunity to go and listen to the Dharma at one stage. At that time I'd been meditating for quite a while. There was a monk and he, he, gave, he gave a talk and it was, he gave the examples that Ajahn Chah had, had given in one of his previous talks about, three, about the, the example of the three glasses. So just say, for example, you have a glass that's, that's five inches tall. You know, you might look at that and you say, oh, that's a, that's a reasonably big glass. But then, if some, but then if someone else brings out a glass that's like, that's like seven inches tall, it's like, well, that new glass is bigger than the old glass. So the original glass becomes small now and the new glass becomes big. And then someone might bring another glass out that's nine inches and it's like, well, you know, that's the big glass. And, and this first glass now is the small glass. So in reality, either of the glasses are, are big or small or medium size. It's just it's just the names and the labels that we attach to these, and the way we see way that we see the world. And I saw that. I actually I saw through those conventions, and my mind deeply understood at that point in time. My mind became very bright, and what we could say that real that real wisdom arose in my mind at that point in time. After that, I looked at everything, and everything I saw, I just saw everything as conventions. Nothing seemed to have any, have any, have any inner core. I, I saw at that point in time that the Dhamma that the Buddha taught, this was the truth, and this was, this was beyond all conventions. What's called the Vipassana Yan arose, which is the, 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 knowledge of, the knowledge of wisdom, and, and the true faith in, in the Buddha's teaching, that arose at that point in time. I experienced so much rapture at that point because I saw a truth that I'd never saw and that I never thought was possible and this was the arising of real wisdom. So for us now, we, we might be sitting here and say, well, why isn't this arising for me now? This is something you can't really control at this point in time. All you have to do is continually practice you know, and not worry about the results. One, one day it will arise if you practice in the right way and you keep continuing to practice. You, know, you can just look at your own body right here, right now. You can see your body's never said to you, it's like that, that this, is, this is my body or this is your body. This never actually stated this. You know, it's never said that you know, these, these nails, the nails have never said these are my nails or your hair has never said it's your hair or this skin, none of these things have ever said that they're yours or all the different things, parts of the body. None of them ever actually say that, that you know, they have an owner and they belong to you. When the mind is calm, you'll actually see this. It's like that these things are just arising according to nature and according to conditions. All the elements in our body, all the elements, the atoms, all these different parts of the body, they've never said that they're a self. The real problem is that we take this, this body as a self so really develop yourself in, in morality. Keep the five precepts very good and just steadily practice and just keep meditating and one day you will see this truth. So therefore, please understand all of us here, what, what we're doing right here at this present point in time, we're all, all developing wisdom within our minds. At the start of the practice and at the, maybe at right now, maybe this wisdom isn't clear and isn't the clear wisdom that I've been talking about here. But we do have wisdom to one level. We already can see that, that keeping morality and keeping our precepts, that this is a good thing. And that abstaining from doing anything bad and hurting other people and not keeping our precepts, that this is not a good thing. 
we can already see things like doing charitable giving and, and doing acts of generosity, that these are good things. And, but things like being selfish and stingy, these, these are bad things. So, so this is a form of wisdom. So, so don't feel discouraged that, that this wisdom hasn't arisen because obviously it already has arisen within you. You, you can just look at, look at your present situation the present situation now. It's like all of you have come here tonight to practice the Dhamma. You're all here practicing meditation. You're already practicing mindfulness. Take a look outside. There's all these people out there in the world and they're, they're not doing this at all. They're out having, trying to have fun in all the different kinds of ways. But they, what they don't realize is that this fun that they're trying to have and this, this happiness they're trying to seek is impermanent and one day it will leave them. But you, you already see this already. You see the benefit of, of developing in the Dharma. So what we need to do is constantly constantly keep practicing and, and making our mind a lot more calmer. The more calm our mind is, the more, the more we'll see the suffering in, in this life and, we'll, and the more wisdom we will give rise to. Once we, get, once we do arrive at this wisdom, once this wisdom starts to, to develop within our own hearts, this is what we'll call samatiti, which is which is right view. You'll you'll see that that our lives is just is simply a process of birth, old age, sickness, and death. All the, you'll see that all these things are just are, are simply suffering, separation from those we love, association with things we do, we don't like. All all these different aspects of our lives, whether they large or small, they they are all a cause of suffering. You can look right at your mind right now. Sometimes it's, it's, it thinks bad things and it thinks in an unwholesome way and that causes you suffering. So, but then on the other side of it, if you start to think like all these good wholesome thoughts, it's like you become elated and you become joyous. But when, when that happiness in your mind leaves, uh, when that happiness in your mind goes away, that's, that's another cause of your suffering. So what you have to see is that, that both happiness and, happiness and suffering are really the causes of suffering. But if you bring the if you can bring the mind to the if you can bring the mind to the middle, and just and just keep it in a calm and quiet state, you'll you'll see that all the movements of the mind, all the things that arise in our mind, these these are something that aren't sure. Everything that's good that arises in the mind, it's not sure. Everything bad that arises in the mind, it's not sure. These things aren't permanent; they're just arising and passing away. This is something that, that Ajahn Chah really emphasised in his teachings. He said, if if you like something, just always always investigate it. That it's not that it's not sure. It's not permanent. If you dislike something, it's not sure. It's not permanent. If you see someone that you love and and liking arises, and just liking arises, just see that as something that's not sure. Or you hate you see someone and you hate them. This is not sure. All these things can change. Maybe there was someone in the past that you really disliked, but now you like them. So all these feelings that arise in the in the mind, they're not they're not they're not permanent, they're not for sure. This is something you really have to keep on top of the mind and keep teaching the mind. Keep teaching the mind and just bring this you can bring this phrase up over and over again that this is not sure, this is not sure. Don't cling to all these things because none of these emotions and these feelings that I'm feeling are, none of them are for sure. And if the more you do this, the more the mind will have wisdom. And it will see that all the things we love in the world, all the things we hate in the world, everything, all of them will simply change. And if we have wisdom, when this change occurs, there will be no more suffering in the mind. 
Another example Lumpo Chao, Ajahn Chao would give is, is just say if we get something new, we get a new car, we get a, something new that we really, really like, we become very, very happy. But then in time, as, that, as that, that new thing that we once loved so much changes, it starts to change and it starts to degenerate. Maybe we crash the car or something. We suffer now because we're attached to that, that material object. So you really have to teach yourself. This is, this is something that's really important, that everything that you gain in the world, it's, it's simply impermanent. And if when you do acquire these material goods, if you are teaching yourself in this way that they're, that they're unsure, that they're impermanent, when they do change, you won't, you won't have suffering anymore. It's, you'll just see it as something arising and passing according to nature. Even as you sit here at the moment, old, old age, sickness and death, it's, it's following us at every, you know, in every second, every second. This is something we can't control. This is something we can't do anything about. So what we have to do is develop wisdom and just to see that this is a natural process. And the more wisdom we have in this area, the less suffering will arise in our mind when these things do come to fruition. So if the mind's in a good state or it's in a not in a good state, if you have if you have wisdom, you'll be able to let both of these 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 aspects of good and bad go. You'll be able to let go attachment attachment to both good and bad within the mind and the good thoughts, the wholesome thoughts and unwholesome thoughts in the mind. And you, if you can do that, this is where you'll really be free from suffering. So to get to this place of no suffering, what we what we all really have to do is follow the noble eightfold path, the path of morality, concentration, and wisdom. This is the path that will, call, that will cure all, all ignorance, attachment and, and clinging within the mind. This, this will cure it and be, make it be rid of it forever. When you cure uh, ignorance, craving and attachment, when you cure this, you cure it in the present, you cure it right now within the mind. It's not something you do in a far off distant time. All, all these different things, all, all these wholesome and unwholesome dharmas, uh, all the liking and disliking, they all arise right here in, this pre- in the present and they all pass away in the present. All these things arise in the mind and pass away in the mind. So once we develop this eightfold path to its fruition, we'll be able to see the Dharma right here in the present. You have to be quite careful though, careful with all the, what we call the sense impingement, impingements, all the things we come in contact with through our eyes, ears, nose, tongue and body. Because what happens when we do come in contact with these, these different experiences, they cause either uh, uh, pleasure or pain. And what happens with that, it, it causes what's called the Dhamma Aram, sorry, Dhamma Aramanas. And, and, these, are, and these are the things that, that really cause suffering because they, they either like the... They either like the... They either like what they see at the eyes or they don't like it. But what you have to, you have to keep teaching yourself and you have to keep reminding yourself that these things aren't sure. These things are just, they're coming into contact. Just for example, like an eye sees the form, it comes into contact with it and, and it passes, it passes away. Then the, the form's not there anymore and the sight's not there anymore. So all these different things are just experiences arising and passing away, arising and passing away. You know, and, and anything you don't like, you see these things and you don't like them. Well, they're the same thing, they're, they're just arising and passing away. You have to really watch out for, for the defilements because what they'll try to do is they'll try to trick you and they'll try to stop you from developing in the Dharma. They'll tell you things like, you know, oh, don't meditate now, you know, you don't have to do any chanting today, you're tired, 
all, they'll give you all these different excuses. But what, what's really happening within your own mind here is, is the defilements that are in your mind. They're scared because they're scared. They, do, they, don't, they don't want you to be rid of them. They don't want you to see the Dharma. They want, you know, they're quite happy and they're comfortable here in your mind. But you have to be patient. You have to really teach yourself and you really have to, to outsmart those defilements within your mind. Teach yourself constantly. Constantly remind yourself. Constantly, constantly keep yourself mindful. And the more you can do this and the more you can see the arising and passing away in your own mind, more, wisdom, more and more wisdom will grow and that will be the cause for you to, to finally beat these defilements in your mind. So you, you really have to develop concentrated states of mind and you can, you can actually do this by using, by using wisdom, the wisdom of the thinking mind. And when you can do that over and over again and maybe in, investigate some sort of Dharma theme, and when the mind does eventually become calm, and so, uh, your, your mindfulness will be there right on top of it, and it'll know when the mind moves, and, and wisdom will be there because you've done this so much and you've done this over and over and you've practiced this so many times. When, it does, when the mind does move, it will just be like a light going off, and you'll be able to see the impermanence of the mind. And at that point, you'll be able to let go. You'll be able to let go completely. This is, once again, is Bhavanamaya Panya. And this, and this is the wisdom that arose within the Buddha when he attained enlightenment. But what you have to remember is, in your practice, you have to practice by letting go. You, you can't practice by trying to control things. Uh, when this wisdom arises, it will arise on its own cause and its own conditions. It's not something that you can, you can control. So don't stress about it. Don't, don't make your meditation practice something that, that actually causes you suffering. Just steadily, just steadily progress. You, you charitable giving. You do, you keep morality. You develop your meditation. Just keep constantly doing these things, and one day this wisdom will arise, and you'll be able to see the Dhamma clearly. This is just something you can't control. Like when, when it, when it, when it, when it arises, it arises. You can't, you can't tell it to arise. You can't make it arise. So when it's time to sit down and practice. You know, just sit down and practice. When it's time to sit down and do your chanting, just do it. You know, if if your mind's not in a good state, do it. If your mind's in a bad state, uh, sorry. If your mind's in a good state, do it. If your mind's in a bad state, still do it. Don't worry if if you sit down and and things aren't calm. Like what you have to do is just is just keep just keep practicing, keep constantly keep constantly going, and eventually the mind will will reach a state where it will reach a state where it doesn't fall back. So just steadily practice like this and bit by bit, little by little, we, we will eventually see the Dhamma. Just like Anyakonanda did when the Buddha gave his first sermon. You'll see that everything arises and passes away. You'll see the Dhamma that the Buddha taught and, you, and you'll, the, you'll see the Dhamma that the Buddha taught. You'll see that over 2,500 years ago that what that this that this teaching that the Buddha taught, this is real and the enlightenment that he was talking about, this is a real thing. And you'll know for sure that you'll know for sure that a Buddha arose in the world and he taught and he passed away two thousand five hundred years ago. All these things will give you a firm sense of firm sense of knowledge and a firm sense of faith. Ajahn Chah actually said to me one day, you know, wasn't the Buddha born in Thailand? And for me at that point in time, I was, I was very confused. I didn't know what to make of it. I, I thought it over in my mind. I was like, no, the, the Buddha was born in India. I was, I was quite sure of that. But 
at that, at that point in time, I, I didn't quite understand what he means, what he meant. But now I understand what, what he really means is the Buddha arises in the mind with each practitioner. So whether you're in India or whether you're in Thailand, if, if the Dhamma arises within the heart, that means the Buddha has, arise, has, has arisen in that, in that place. So this path that the Buddha's laid out, you follow it, just keep following it and gradually your suffering will diminish. The more you do this and the more you practice, one day you'll get to the point where you, where you break through and you see the Dhamma. And after you break through and you see the Dhamma, there'll, be, there'll only be seven, at the, at the least, there'll be seven more lives that you have to, that you have to be born into. So with this, I wish, you very, I wish you the very best in the Dharma and I wish you the very best in developing this wisdom that I was speaking about here tonight. So he's asking, would anyone like to ask some questions? So the question was, how do we develop the, the four Brahma Viharas? So with developing the Brahma Viharas, with, within the Brahma Viharas we have Metta, which is loving kindness, Karuna, which is compassion, Mudita, which is sympathetic joy, and Upeka, which is equanimity. Which, whichever one of these you, you feel most comfortable with, you develop that one. But for, mo- for most people, um, what we, we should all really start with, with developing loving kindness. We should start with developing Metta. And the way you do this, you, you develop loving kindness for yourself. You think uh, good things about yourself, um, and you start from yourself. May I be well? May I be happy? And then you, from that, you moved on to someone you love, like a, say a family member or something like that. And then you move on to the, pe- the people where you're neutral towards, and you develop those same kinds of thoughts. And then, and and lastly, you develop on the, develop those kinds of thoughts for people that you don't like, because. The thing is, if you try to start with people that you don't like from the very start, you, you know you haven't really got enough power to do that yet. You have your mind isn't strong enough, and it won't actually really be able to feel genuine thoughts of loving kindness for that person. So start with yourself first and build up, build up, keep building up enough enough of that strength of the mind. You can you can do things like walking around and, and repeating just repeating in your mind ahang sukito homi, which means may I be well, may I be happy, and you can just keep repeating that over and over again in your mind and wishing those things for yourself. You do things, you know, you can do little exercises like you know just wake up in the morning and and you know just make the determination. It's like righto today, I'm not going to get angry with anyone. Today, I'm not going to I'm not going to abuse anyone. I'm not going to I'm not going to let my mind fall into those dark states. And you can, the more you do this, the more you'll see the world, you'll see the world through the eyes of kindness. You'll be able to, to really look on yourself and others on, with, with, the, with the, exactly the same kind of loving kindness. Re- you really set yourself up, really try and watch all your different speech, your, all your different speech, your actions, and all the thoughts that come up in your mind. And the more, the more you can do this, and the more, the more you can watch these three different aspects with, with thoughts of loving kindness, your mind will become very, will, will quite easily become calm because your mind's in a happy state already. And that happy state will, the happy state of mind will give rise to what we call piti, which is rapture. This will arise very, very easily because the mind is naturally happy already. And so when this rapture does arise, it's, it's very, very hard for anger and ill will to arise. Just repeat the question. The question was, uh, before the Buddha 
became enlightened and before he left home, did he actually know if Nibbana was, was real and if it actually existed? And if, if he didn't know, how did he know how to go, that, how did he know that he should go out and seek for that? So what you, had to, what you have to realize, in the Buddha's cosmology, uh, the uh, beings go through many, many lives. So, so the being that would become our Buddha, he had built a lot of spiritual accumulations over many, many lives. He developed these, he practiced these a lot, and he developed them to, you know, to the, very fullest, the very fullest they could possibly be. Um, and so he, he knew that, that this, bar, this barami was already full. And he knew exactly that this would be his last life. You know, he would be the supreme teacher among gods and men. He would, he would be the foremost in the world. He, he knew all this before because he'd been building uh, Barami for so long and so many different lives. So even when he was born, when he, came, when he came down out of one of the heaven realms, he had perfect mindfulness. He had perfect mindfulness when he went into the womb of his mother. And he had perfect mindfulness when, when, he, was, uh, when he was born. He had mindfulness. He had perfect mindfulness in these three as in these three instances, and this this is something that's that's impossible for like a normal being to have. Um, but what you, what you have to realize is maybe he didn't quite know that that nibbana existed or nirvana existed. But what he knew is he had to get it, he had suffering within his life, and he and he knew that there had to be some sort of way out of the suffering that he that he experienced in his life. And so he, he, because he built so much barami over so many lifetimes, he, he knew this instinctively, that he knew that there had to be some sort of way out of suffering. He, he knew that everything in the world is, it's like everything in the world is in pairs. So just say if you, have, if you have light, you have to have darkness. If you have heat, you have cold. So he investigated and he saw, okay, you have, you have birth and so you have to have death. And this is something that everyone can see. But he had, enough, he had enough wisdom there already to, to actually say, well, if there is a birth, there has to be a state of non-birth. And if there's a state of death, there has to be a state of, of non-dying, of, non, of the deathlessness. He, he, he saw this and he realized that, that, that there had to be this kind of state available there somewhere. So although he didn't know what the deathless state was at that point in time, he knew in his heart it had, something had to be there, something bigger than him had to be there. He went out and he, he practiced under two very prominent teachers and as I said before, he developed very, very deep states of meditation, very deep states of concentration. It brought him a lot of happiness but he, he, realized, he realized his suffering was still there, the suffering was still in the mind. So after that he went and he practiced, so that he had, sorry, at that time he had a lot of happiness in the mind. So after that he realized he still wasn't free from suffering so he went out and he, he practiced very austere practices, didn't eat food, uh, uh, tortured his body a lot. Then after a while, he, but then after a while, he realized that well, I'm, I still have suffering. At that point, he realized, okay, I've had I've had so much happiness, but I've also had the, the I've had the extreme happiness, but I've also had the extreme suffering. There must be a middle way, and that's and that's when then when he sat down that night and he he firmly concentrated his mind and the wisdom arose in his mind that that the middle way was the way. And for someone to actually, for the first one to actually see this, this, sorry, when this arises, this, this is what we call the perfectly enlightened Buddha. There's only, there'll only be one of these because that being is the first one, is the first one to realize that. And so he has to build, as I said, build Barami for a very, very long time. But there will be only one. Did I answer your question?
So the question was, is a chant in 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 Buddhism? It's, it's I don't know the proper word for it, but it's pahong. Called pahong in Thai. Um, it's the the Buddha's victory over Mara. What the question was was, does you know this this being that's actually the Mara? Does you know does it exist? Is it a person or is it a state of mind? What what actually is this Mara? And if we do meet this, how do we how do we overcome it? Okay, so so this this Mara that, that we're talking about this this is actually a being that actually exists. It's but it's in it, this being is in a, is in a very very high very very refined realm in one of the very the, probably in the, actually the highest heaven realm above all the all the different kinds of heaven realms. This, this is right at the top there. So it, it is this being is actually a devata, and this this being has developed a, a lot of parami before. They've developed a lot of developed a lot of morality and actually that, that being has the aspiration to one day become a Buddha. But what what actually happens is is this being it, it in a way he sort of draws his power for people that are stuck in the central realm. Um, so people that are they're stuck here when when they when they follow these things and they don't practice the Dharma it, it, it it's like it gathers it's like it gathers a sort of power. So what what happened when the Buddha was about to become enlightened? This being came down and tried to stop the Buddha becoming enlightened, and you know tried to try to because he was worried that if if the, when the Buddha becomes enlightened, he'll teach beings and beings will be released from suffering, and they'll be released from this central realm that he's that he's sort of the lord over. So this this seems. This might seem sort of petty for someone, for a being that's in a very, very high realm, but what you have to realise, you know, they, they still have a sense of self. They still have, um, maybe like if, you, if you're still not enlightened, you still have wrong view in some way. So the way you can, way you can stop this, these sort of beings uh, taking control of you and taking control of your own mind is you can just uh, develop loving kindness and spread metta to all the devadas and all the beings in other realms and, the, and this will help you, help stop him trying to control you. I hope I translated that right, because if I didn't, I'm in trouble. <laughs> so the question was, uh, why do we find it that when we're, you know, say we're at home or whatever, and we're just in our, in our, in our normal, normal house, why, why is it harder <coughs> to motivate ourselves to practice? But when we come to somewhere like here, and we come and meet a teacher like Ajahn or whatever, doing meditation is really easy and our mind seems to get into a calmer state of mind. So what's the difference between, you know, what's the difference between home and somewhere like a monastery or somewhere like a centre like this? Why, why is there a different feeling between the two? So what you have to realise is that when we go home, when we go back to our, our regular house, we have to realise that it, 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 we bring along a lot of mental baggage. There is, so we go home. We're, we're used to everything in our own house. You know, we go home. We we got the kids running around. We got all these different things we need to do. There's, you know, we think about work. All these different. It just it's it's like the it's like we're so used to the place. We're so used to normal emotions running around while we're there. So that's why it is a lot harder to to put all these things down while you're in that environment. But you'll notice when you come to somewhere like a monastery or you come to somewhere here like Bodhikasuma, everybody here, it's, everyone here is here with the same intention. Everyone here is, is here to practice. Everyone here is, is 
uh, intent on the Buddha's teachings, all these different, it builds this good energy. So all those things that we usually carry around with us about the kids and we're worried that the TV might break or whatever, we put all those things down for the point, for that point in time, for this point in time that we're here because maybe we've travelled here. So we've really sort of set ourselves up. So right, we're going here and we're going to meditate. So you've really set your mind up in a good state already. Um, and also when you get here, there might be good teachers, um, the, the monks might be helping you, lead you in meditation. So there's all these, there are all these different things where it really culminates to you letting go of all the garbage that you usually bring along with you. So, but what you have to do is these times that you spend in places like this, you have to take this as your inspiration. You have to really sort of go, okay, I've, I've, I've built that up already, so I'm going to take that inspiration home. And what you need to do when you get home... Probably the best thing to do is if you can set aside a little place in your house somewhere, like a little room that you could, you know, use that as your meditation room and your chanting room. And that just that room, you just go. That's just a room you go into to meditate and to do your chanting or whatever. So when you go into that room, you bow to the Buddha or whatever, and you really start to set your mind up. Maybe you think over the times that you were in the monastery or that you came to Bodhisattva and you listened to Ajahn Anand and you did all these different things and really really set your mind up in that way and do some chanting, think of the Buddha, you relate to the qualities of the Buddha Dhamma Sangha. And so if you really set your mind up while you're at home, you know, the same results will arise, the same results will arise as if you were at a monastery. And when we do have the chance to go to a monastery, whatever chances we do get, take those chances because these are the things that give us inspiration to keep practicing at home.